I have often been introduced as Ron Comfort's son-in-law, and I was in Virginia, and a pastor that I had preached for frequently had this new evangelist for their church, Ron Comfort. And so he introduced Ron Comfort as Mike Pelletier's father-in-law, and I thought that was very good. Appreciate the kind words from uh, Brother Jim Van Gelderen. I, I said to him last night, him giving me a compliment, it's like a diamond giving a piece of gravel a compliment. Brother Van Gelderen is a tremendous man of God, and uh, just thankful for his impact on my life. Let's take our Bibles and let's stand together, please. And, can't, and I'd like to turn to Revelation chapter 20. I appreciate this opportunity. It's a short week, but it can be a great week. I trust it will. I believe God has great plans for the week, don't you? And then uh, looking forward to being with these young people. And uh, you just pray the Lord would give uh, me what I am supposed to preach each step of the way. And that's what it's supposed to be anyway, where you pray weekly for your pastor to do that too, amen? And so, uh, and then it's not just me, it's the teachers, it's the young people influencing each other, and God wants to do some great things this week and all year. Love the emphasis this morning and the emphasis of the year. In fact, I told pastor I'd like to listen to all these sermons. I don't know if I will get to, but I'm going to try to get my son uh, who is a pastor to listen to these, this series of my identity in Christ. Tonight, um, as we look at this uh, from an evangelist perspective, this is where I feel led to the Lord to go tonight. And uh, just trust the Lord will lead us through the week, uh, what he wants, when he wants, and uh, how he wants. But right now, let's look at Revelation chapter 20, and I want to look at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And they were judged, every man, according to those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is a second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great uh, emphasis of this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the emphasis of the whole uh, and the whole title even of this uh, series of meetings and Lord the direction uh, Lord I thank you for it that you're taking this church but I pray Lord that my time would be a help to the church and to the school and Lord that you would help me to do the part that you would have for me to do and I'll bless the preaching tonight and Lord through the entire week and get us to where you want us to be by the end of our time together. In Christ's name we pray, bless this message, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. I'm going to start by just reading a little excerpt from a sermon by Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He said, the pit is prepared, the fire is made ready. The furnace is now hot, ready to receive them. The flames do now rage and glow. 
The glittering sword is wet and held over them. Oh, sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. And these are the words of that powerful preacher, Jonathan Edwards, from that classic sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. The Puritan preachers believed what the Bible taught about hell. Now, things are different today. In 1980, even a survey was taken among theologians, and 50% said that they did not believe in hell. The Crystal Cathedral had that famous preacher, Charles Schuler for many years, and he boasted in 2002 that he had not preached on hell in over 40 years. And uh, there are other evangelists that are popular who have said that they don't believe that hell fire is literal fire, it's just a man's separation from God. Now most Christians believe that if you preach on hell, it's something that we should be ashamed of or even talk about the subject of hell. But I believe that if we're ever going to have a revival and a, a fire like they had 100 years ago in preachers, and if we're going to have revival and a movement of revival in churches like we had 100 years ago, we have to have the preaching on the subjects that they did 100 years ago, and they would preach on hell, and they would preach on it very warmly. Now, there are many ways that we can be stirred to serve God, but one way that's really important is that we keep the burden for the souls of men. And though we can't do it, it's got to be God doing the work through us, we do have to have the burden for it so that we seek God to do a work through us. So we have to have preaching on the vision of the uh, subject of hell and what is at stake. And so there are many ways that we can look at that. So tonight, I'm going to look at it from this perspective. One day I was preaching or reading my Bible, and I noticed that the verse that I read talked about hell, but it was a different name than the name hell. For instance, here you have the lake of fire. That's a different name than the word hell. And I thought, why didn't God just always call it hell? Why didn't he just use that? And I saw in other passages, there were other names. And as I looked at that, I felt that God had given hell many different names. And as I looked into it, I felt like there was a purpose. I thought each name described an aspect of hell that we might not get from any other name. And I was greatly motivated by it. So this evening, I'm going to speak on the subject of hell, and we'll take it from this perspective, the names of hell. Now, what is hell like? The names describe it very well. Now, the first name that I want to look at tonight is an Old Testament name. It's the name Sheol. Now, of course, in our Bible, we read the word hell, but 32 out of 32 times it's in the Old Testament. It's S-H-E-O-L in the original language. For instance, uh, Psalm 9:17, the wicked shall be turned into hell. That's the word sheol and all nations that forget God. So there's a warning that people will go to hell and it is there. Proverbs 7:27, speaking of the woman of ill repute, her house, the prostitute is the way to sheol, hell. And it's very clear that there's judgment on sin. Now, sometimes hell, sheol, means the grave where you're buried. 
but other times it means the place of eternal condemnation, and you can usually tell by the context. Now, if you look at this, um, it says that hell is a place of fire, shield, Deuteronomy 32, 22. It's a place of sorrow, Psalm 18, 5. And we already know that there's sorrow and crying in hell from other passages and that there's fire from other passages. But what I'm trying to do is get something from the name we might not get from any other name. And what I got from this is its location. Hell seems to be beneath the earth or in the center of the earth. Isaiah 5.14, it says, people shall descend into it. Psalm 55.5, go down quick into hell. Proverbs 7.27, going down to the chambers of death. Proverbs uh, 15.24, hell beneath, and many other passages. But one of them that I want to look at is Amos chapter 9, verse 2, I don't even know if you'll find it before I start quoting it, but Amos 9 and verse 2, it says, Though they dig into hell, then shall mine hand take them. Though they climb up into heaven, thence will I bring them down. Now, the idea is if you climb high enough, you get into heaven. And, of course, we know heaven is up because Jesus ascended up into heaven. But it also seems to indicate that if you dig deeply enough, you would dig down into hell. Now, I'm not dogmatically going to say that this is saying hell is in the center of the earth, but I do think the evidence is there that that's probably the location of the present hell. And if you study the materials that make up the earth, the core of the earth is extremely hot. 1,800 miles below where I stop my foot, there is the core of the earth. And it has two sections to it, the outer core and the inner core. The outer core is 1,400 miles thick and it's primarily liquid form and liquid lava. And then the inner core is 800 miles thick, 13 and a half times the density of water, but you could be engulfed in it and you could move around. And the temperature of the outer core is estimated to begin at 3,200 degrees and then the deeper you go, it gets up to 13,000 degrees. Now, miners have often talked about going deep down into the mines and hearing screams. I have heard tapes of people that have supposedly recorded the sounds that are deep down in the sun of the earth. But I also understand, though they did freak me out, that with modern technology, they could have fabricated those sounds. If Hollywood can do it, a preacher can do it too. So whether it was the genuine, genuine sound of people in hell or not, I doubt. I don't know. But it was a pretty amazing sound. But I personally have talked to miners who have gone deep down into the earth and into the mines and asked them if they've ever heard things. And though I only talked to three, I did get two out of the three saying to me they heard what did sound like many, many screams and lots of people in deep agony. Now, whether it is what they're hearing, the Bible seems to indicate that hell is down. And so what we learn from that is, if it is in the center of the earth, then it is estimated that the temperature would be 13,000 degrees in temperature. And a person would burn, but they would never die. Think of it. Now, the second word 
My, my, my mother used to always tell me when I was in a graveyard, do not step on the tombstones. It's disrespectful to the dead. And so to this day, whenever I'm in a graveyard, if I walk in a graveyard, I try not to walk where the casket is out of respect for the dead. And I definitely try not to step on a tombstone. But if hell is in the center of the earth, which I do believe and am inclined to believe that it is, every step that I take, I am taking over people that are burning in 3,200 to 18,000 degree temperatures. And that bothers me. And as we look at this, we can be challenged by the seriousness of the place called hell and one of the major missions we have to get the gospel to the world by understanding the seriousness of the plight of those who are unsaved. All right, now the first name that we're looking at to understand and be reminded of this place called hell is the name Sheol. The second name is the name Tophet, T-O-P-H-E-T. Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 30 and we'll read verse 33. I personally believe that this is referring to hell. Isaiah 30 and verse 33. It says, for Tophet is ordained of old, yea, for the king it is prepared. He hath made it deep and large, the pile thereof is fire and much wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, doth kindle it. Now it teaches it's deep and it teaches there's fire and it teaches there's much wood. Now we already know though that there's a lot of fire and a lot of brimstone as it is also speaking of in Tophet. The breath of the Lord like a stream of brimstone doth kindle it. Now what I want to do again is be reminded and remind us of maybe some aspect of hell we might not get from any other name. And what can we get from the name Tophet that would burden us tonight? I think it is what is associated with that kind of helps to burden me and maybe a help to us all to gain a burden. Tophet is referring to a time when the Israelites worshipped a false god named Molech. And when they would worship Molech, they would do human sacrifices and they were usually sacrifices of small children. Now they would keep a fire perpetually burning. They had a little statue called a Tophet. And the Tophet was in the image of the god Molech. And it would be seated like this, hollow in the back, a hole in the back, hollow arms, hollow fingers, um, a hole in the eyes, nose, mouth, and fingers, and an idolatrous priest would put fire in the back of the Tophet and it would get full blaze and then it would shoot forward through the empty hollow body and fire would shoot out the fingers, eyes, nose, and mouth. So get the picture, there'd be a ball of fire in the middle of this Tophet. And at that point, an idolatrous priest would come and begin to beat drums. And as he would beat drums, he would begin to be working up the crowd for the worship and the sacrifice of the human being. Then he would pick up the pace, kind of like he would in a rock and roll concert, and he would work people up, and finally the lady would walk up and put her baby in the fire, and it would sizzle and burn until it expired, a terrible thing. Now, as you look at this, 
the baby would burn, the pounding would continue, and the pounding of the drums would continue to drown out the screams of the baby. It was a horrible, horrible atmosphere. Now, what then can we get about Tophet possibly that may add to our understanding of what is this state? All right, one obvious thing is that there will be a lot of screaming in hell. Now, nobody likes to hear screaming and screaming and screaming, and that will add to people's torment in hell. But then with the word Tophet being so strongly associated with the beating of the drums, I believe that is indicating that there may be some pounding sounds that would add to men's anxiety and add to his torment in hell and anxiousness because of the pounding sounds. Now, I have a friend of mine who is a geologist, and he said what I said was pretty accurate. I said, what do you mean? He says, the earth is constantly moving, and as it is constantly moving, the primarily the middle of the earth is liquid metal, and it could form waves, and it could lap and lap and lap and make sound, sounding like a drum, just an idea. And then he also said that the primary inner part of the earth is made up of rock and water and the rock is constantly shifting and can make noise and it could travel rapidly through the water to the core of the earth. And he's saying it's very possible anyway that there could be pounding sounds. Now imagine, though we are not confident of the pounding sounds, it's probable that there could, would be sounds like this. Now just imagine hearing pounding sounds as you're burning in up to 13,000 degree temperatures. Now I'm gonna do something right now that is a little bit awkward, and if you think it's awkward for you, you ought to be the evangelist, especially at a place where you don't know me. But just imagine having pounding sounds as you're burning in 13,000 degree temperatures. But then in addition to that, you hear screams. Now, here's the awkward part. Don't get up and run. I won't do it long. But just imagine hearing the pounding, and then you hear, and the screams get louder as more people and die without Jesus, who die without Jesus, spend an eternity in hell. Now, friends, I believe that if I were to stand here and I were to do that, it would be so awkward. And if I were to do that for two minutes, it would be awkward. If I did it for three minutes, it would eat on us. If I did it for five minutes, it would really eat on us. But can you imagine, you know that there'll be screaming in hell. Can you imagine hearing that and hearing that and it never, never ends? Now, we have a mission and yes, it is to serve the Lord. And yes, it is also to preach the gospel and keep people from this place called hell. Let's take our Bibles now and look at a New Testament word. It's the word Gehenna, G-E-H-E-N-N-A, and it is found in Math, uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 43 and 45. Mark chapter 9, 43 and 45. Now, we see it as the word hell, and it's very accurate. That's the way it is supposed to be translated. It's absolutely correct. But you know that some words, the words were written in another language originally, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, and the Greek word is the word Gehenna. 
All right, Mark 9, 43. It says, if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell under the fire that never shall be quenched. Verse 45. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, Gehenna, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Now the flames will never be quenched. They engulf the whole body, torment the soul. It's called damnation. But what I'm trying to do is use a part of that name we might not get from any other name. And what can we get from Gehenna? I'll share with that in just a moment. But before we do, let me just park here for a second. Many people think that we should not ever preach on hell. And some people think we should only preach on hell. No, we've got hell, but we've got heaven. Amen? We've got hell and sin, but we got a savior from sin. And so, no, we don't just preach on hell, but we preach on hell because we've got to be stirred with this truth. Now, when Jesus was preaching it, he was preaching this in red letter ink. He was the one who was preaching it. Some people say that if you love people and if you're sensible and a good preacher, you don't preach on that. It's just scaring people. Well, Jesus is the one who preached on it. And then people then preach and they preach really heavily and strongly. And it's almost like they'll preach like this. If your right eye offend thee, pluck it out. If you offend it, then you cut it off. And I don't think that Jesus was preaching that way. I believe he was preaching, if your right eye offend thee, pluck it out. If your foot offends you, cut it off. I've seen this place. It's so bad. Whatever it be that puts you in hell, get rid of it. This place is terrible. Get rid of it. And I want you in heaven, not hell. And that's how I see him preaching, not mean in his message. But yet, it was Christ who preached it, and he's simply saying this. If there would be somebody here tonight that you are not totally sure you're on your way to heaven, whatever it would be that would put you in hell, get rid of it. If it's your pride, then swallow it because hell is too hot for you. But what can we learn from Gehenna that we might not get from any other name? One of the things that we can learn from Gehenna is how God sees a sinner, even a nice one. And this is why we sometimes lose our burden. We see nice people that are not on the way to heaven, but they're so nice, and we think they certainly could not ever really go to hell. They're my neighbor. They're nice. And yes, they might be. I remember talking with a great preacher, and as I went into a restaurant with him, because that's what preachers do, we eat. As we went into a restaurant, this really kind, really tender-eyed man came up and started talking to him and Brother Wingard just smiled and they laughed and they were so close you could tell. And as we went into the restaurant, I said, Brother Wingard, is that a man from your church? And he said, no, I don't believe he's even born again. I said, you're kidding me. He has such a tender face and such a kind face and kind eyes and such a nice kind heart, it seems. I thought he was one of your deacons. 
And he said to me, Mike, there just are a lot of nice people out here. And you know what that points out? Even unsaved people can have a measure of niceness about them and kindness about them and good from a human perspective about them. And so sometimes we get the idea, ah, it's not really all that critical. Most of these people are nice, they're happy, they're smiling. They certainly are not going to go to hell. Every one of you uh, who is a preacher boy and every one of us who is a church member, people, even if they're nice, are still in need of our message. Because people without Christ are still on their way to hell. Now, where we get this from Gehenna? In the day that 2 Kings 23 came along, King Josiah decided, we're not going to worship Molech, we're going to worship Jehovah. And he said, no more worshiping of Molech, and he turned the valley where they worship Molech into a garbage dump. That was a slam on Molech. So now, nobody could worship Molech because he defiled the Tophet. So at his decree, defile the Tophet. And so they pour garbage on Molech, so to speak, and on Tophet, so nobody would worship him, and they worship Jehovah. But then in his decree, and I think by the design of God, he also made another decree that when a criminal is executed or a part of a criminal's body is cut off and amputated because of the crime. Cast that hand into Gehenna, the fire that is never quenched. Cast that foot into that fire. Cast that body of the dead criminal executed for his crime into that valley, into Gehenna. And I think what he was trying to do was make a point about hell. You know why people go to hell? Criminals go there. And when somebody is a good person, we can kind of lose our burden for their need. But we have to understand from God's perspective, Mike Pelletier, though I had some nice things going about me, I was a criminal in God's court until I was forgiven. I was guilty of crimes worthy of death by fire in the lake of fire. And when we look at people around us, no, we don't look down on them, but we must see they are guilty like we were guilty and they must be pardoned or they will spend an eternity in hell. So we've got to keep a burden for this place and trying to keep people out of here. And I feel led this first day to try to stir us along this line. Now let's take our Bibles and let's go to New Testament in Revelation. And in Revelation, there are a couple of words there that add to this thing about hell and how we should be serious about trying to snatch people out of the fire. Thank God for 400 plus, 450 plus this summer. Thank God for what you're trying to do at this beginning year in getting a neighborhood. That's wonderful. And thank God there are young people that are coming to a Bible college for the purpose of serving the Lord. Amen? A lot of times we forget there's not one of these young people that doesn't have a good heart or they wouldn't even want to be in a Bible college. Amen. But now we look at Revelation. First we've seen the name Sheol. 1,800 miles below where I stop my foot, you have the core of the earth. 
it is estimated to be up to 13,000 degrees. Then you have the name Tophet, the pounding and the screams that drive men to anxiety. And then you have Gehenna. In other words, wherever it is that would put you in hell, get rid of it. Because cutting your hand off or your eye would be painless compared to going there. Criminals go there. But now we have two other words that are describing, I believe, hell. The pit and the abyss. And they're in Revelation chapter 9. And the fifth angel sounded, and this is during the tribulation period, part of the tribulation period judgments. The fifth angel sounded... And I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless, that's the first word, pit, that is the second word. Now first, it is bottomless. The word is the word abyss, A-B-Y-S-S. And usually, um, as you look at it, it'll be defined as being boundless, not bottomless. In other words, you go right, left, up, down, any direction, and you'll never get out of it. But I believe that it is actually translated, accurately translated bottomless. In other words, you would fall, and you would fall, and you would fall, and you would fall, and you'd never die. Now, not only would there be the great high temperatures, not only the pounding, not only the fire, not only these things, but you would be falling and falling and falling and falling. Somebody says, well... If hell is in the center of the earth and you fall and you fall, you eventually wake, go through to China. Now, first, I don't know how God's going to do it, but I say if God says it's bottomless, it's bottomless. Done. But I also believe if the core of the earth is where the location of hell is, as it's spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning 68,000 miles per hour, 19 miles per second in its orbit. Spinning and spinning could give the sensation of falling and falling and falling and falling, and you can understand. Now, sometimes we think, oh, that's all sensational. But the fact is, if we're honest, I don't think any of us could outdo or overstate the seriousness of eternal damnation in hell. Now, falling and falling. How many of you, when you were young, ever had a nightmare that you were falling and falling? Okay, a lot of people, it's interesting. They say that if you hit the bottom before you wake up, you die. Did any of you hit the bottom before you wake up? Woke up. See, they're all dead. Now, here's one who hit the bottom, and he's not dead. So maybe that's not true. Now I can go ahead and finish the story and see what happens when I hit. No, we've all had nightmares. Now, <clears throat> I had several nightmares when I was growing up. One of my worst nightmares was I was 12 years old and there was a beautiful woman who we were madly in love. I was 12 and she was 26. But somehow we were madly in love. And so anyway, my nightmare was that I would be going up to her and meeting her at the corner. She would drive up in a black limousine, and I was going to spend the afternoon with her, and we would walk and things. And as she drove up, I remember waving, and she would wave at me. Then she'd get out of the car, and she'd start walking my way, and the driver was a bad guy. And so then he would open the trunk, and he would pick up a shovel. 
he'd walk behind her in my nightmare. And I had this several days in a row. And I remember thinking, I know he's going to kill her. He's going to kill her. So I'd go running. And in my slow motion, of course, I'd be going, no, no. And he'd pick up the shovel and it would come down as I'm running. No. And it would come down, hit her in the back of the head. And she'd fall to the ground and she would die. I need a psychiatrist. <laughs> Another horrible nightmare that I had was I would walk toward a giant uh, big garage door, and it was a double car garage door up this cement sidewalk. It was a white garage door, and as I'm walking up, like kind of like this, I knew what happened, and sometimes it would happen three feet away, sometimes it happened five feet away. Sometimes it happened a little bit earlier, and I just never knew, but it would happen. And it was like for weeks I, I had this, and it would wake me up. As I'm going toward this garage door, all of a sudden, this giant, six-foot-tall, white bunny would jump out and grab me. <laughs> I need a psychiatrist. What does the bunny mean? I think it means I watched the old Jimmy Stewart show, Harvey. But one of the nightmares I had, the worst one that I ever had, was that I was falling and falling and falling and falling. Now, when somebody goes to hell, not only do they deal with the high temperatures, if it is in the core of the earth, 13 and a half times the density of water, but you can move around primarily liquid metal. There is screaming as people are engulfed by that place called hell. And then you have the pounding. You have the screams. Ah, 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 and the screams get louder as more people die and go to hell. And then you have it so bad that Jesus says plucking your eye out would be painless compared to going there. Now, if you and I are believers... And we do have a problem with the eye gate. That sin in itself is a bad enough sin that if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, you would have gone to hell for that. And you will never go to hell for it as a Christian, but what sin you do is bad enough that you would go to hell if it wasn't for the blood of Christ. And you have to take seriously your sin. But Christ is teaching. It is also a place where you fall. The book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. But then, in addition, it teaches the word pit. Now, the word pit is a bad enough word in itself, but what comes out of the pit is the bad thing. All right, notice what he says in verse 2. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit of the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And... There came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power, scorpions of the earth have power. It was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. To them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented. Five months. And their torment was as the torment, here it is, of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Now, during the tribulation period, God opens up the bottomless pit. And 
We never want anybody to go to hell. We don't want to preach on hell like we want people to go to hell. We don't. God is not willing any should perish. God so loved the world, not God so hated the world. Amen? That's true. But we do have an understanding put in Scripture for us of the terrible danger they are in, as Jonathan Edwards put it. Now, what comes out of the bottomless pit during the tribulation period? It vomits up these demonic beasts. And as you continue reading in verse 7 and following, their shapes are like little horses. They have an iron chest, face of a man, hair like a woman, teeth of a lion, and a tail like a scorpion. And they latch on to people in the tribulation period, and they sting them. And the sting is the sting of a scorpion sting. And the pain lasts for five months. Now think with me. If these beasts come out of the bottomless pit, don't they have to be in there before they can come out of there? And so when we think of hell, we think of fire, we think of suffering, we think of screaming, but do we think about the demonic beasts that add to people's torment in hell? Now, we all are aware that God did not originally create hell for us. He created it for the devil and his angels. But when sin came, the consequence of sin came, and by that man, death passed upon all men. And so then Christ can save all men. So is our mission important? Now, take your Bibles, and I want to go ahead, though there are other words. We'll just go back to where we started and just get right to the end. Let's turn back to Revelation chapter 20, and I want you to see one more word, though there are other words in the Bible about hell. We'll just look at this one more, this first night. And I think already the understanding has been there that we need to get back the focus and the burden or get it deeper trying to keep people out of the place called hell. All right, now, the last and final word we're going to get from this passage. I did not address it, but look at verse 11. I saw a great white throne, him that sat in it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Now, the great white throne, most of you are probably already aware, there are two major judgments in the end. There's the great white throne for the unbeliever, and there is the judgment seat of Christ for believers. No believer is ever going to be judged at the great white throne. Unbelievers will be judged at the great white throne. So this is talking about the unbeliever being judged and books being opened. Now, when you look at the fact that books are opened and the dead are judged out of these books according to their works, why? Why? Doesn't make sense. If you don't get to heaven by good works, why are they judged by works? The reason is Romans 2.5 says you can treasure up wrath against the day of wrath. Now, if I treasure up baseball cards, I'm collecting baseball cards. If I treasure up gold, I'm collecting gold. If I treasure up um, money, I'm collecting money. 
And if I treasure up wrath, that means I'm collecting wrath. I'm getting more wrath. Does everybody follow me? Now, what I believe, along with other passages of Scripture, I believe that there are degrees of punishment in hell. Treasureth up wrath. The books are open and they're judged according to their works. And why? I believe that everyone at the great white throne is going to ultimately be cast to the lake of fire because their name is not in the book of life. That's why we've got to get their name in the book of life. We've got to tell them how to get their name in the book of life. But the purpose is to receive the degree of punishment that they will face in the final hell, the lake of fire. And they will have judgment for every sin they have done, every lie, every cuss word, every time they lusted, every time they took God's name in vain before whom they stand. God will say, turn up the fire just a little bit. And then every time that they rejected Jesus, God says, because of thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up to thyself wrath against the day of wrath. In other words, the more opportunities a person has to be saved and they reject, God turns up the wrath account and turns up the fire. But in this passage, it teaches that there's another word besides the word hell, and that is the lake of fire. All right, let's go ahead and look at verse 14, the great white throne judgment context. And death and hell were cast into the what? Lake of fire. All right, so hell is cast into the lake of fire. Now, if hell is cast into the lake of fire, that must mean that hell and the lake of fire are two different places. And they are. Now, the first hell is everything that we've discussed. And how many would agree that what we've said so far is enough that we don't want people to go there? But the final hell, the lake of fire, is even worse. That's the eternal abode of the damned where the smoke of the damned ascendeth forever and ever, and they, the damned, have no rest day nor night. And that is the eternal abode. That's the eternal damnation. And all I will say is if the present hell is as bad as it is, and it is, think how bad the lake of fire must be. Now, I close with a simple illustration. Years ago, I can remember reading a gospel track, and I don't remember the words in the gospel track. I just remember the picture. And perhaps some of you have even seen the picture. It's a long, windy road. kind of goes like this, and millions of people are walking down the road in the artist's depiction. And as they're walking down that windy road, it's the picture of life. And as they're going down that windy road in the picture of life, at the bottom of that, there was a cliff on both sides. The artist had painted the flames of hell. And people walking down the road, not even knowing where they're going, some laughing, some smiling, some with no knowledge of the danger a few steps ahead, walk forward, and one at a time, they would drop off the end of that cliff 
the end of life for them. And they would drop into the flames of hell. And the artists drew these pictures where you could see the pain and the agony on their faces. And they'd be swimming trying to get above the flame. And you could just feel it by looking at that picture. And then some would drop off a little bit prematurely. And they'd fall off the side before they got to the end into the flames of hell. And you could see some in the process of falling before they hit. And that was a picture of somebody in their 20s dying prematurely. And then maybe somebody in their 30s a little later. And we know that there are people that die in all ages and stages. Now, I do not remember the words, but I do remember how I felt when I saw the picture. I wanted to get in that picture and stand at the end of that cliff and go, stop! Now, I could not do that in that picture, but I can do it in life. And so we can all do this in life. Now, if you could keep somebody from going to hell, would you want to? Amen. Well, good news, we can, we can. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. And the Bible gives many other things that give us instruction that we can. You know, we think of the things that people do that kind of quench the Holy Spirit, not kind of, but definitely do. And I think about all the battles that people are having in our circles, in fundamental circles even, about the dumbest, 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 stupid things. What do you mean? People that are arguing and fighting over something so obvious as alcohol. Listen, even if it was allowed, I know it's not. But even if it was allowed, you ask an unsaved person if a Christian ought to have a can of beer in their hand. And if they listen to one who did. I would rather give up anything than to hang on to some sin that would quench the Holy Spirit, but also would hurt my witness with the lost. So do whatever you can, wherever you can, and let's, um, let's be focused on reaching these people. If you could keep somebody from going to hell, would you? And I know that there are many of you that are young people that are coming to study to preach and to serve as preachers, wives, and missionaries because you want to keep people from going to hell. Let me tell you something. That's exactly what you're going to be doing. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this evening, strong message on a strong subject, and it would be a horrible thing for us to not address that there could be maybe somebody here tonight that perhaps is in the crowd, but you just don't know for sure that you're going to heaven. Now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, how many of you would say, Brother Mike, I may not be everything I should be, but I do know this, if I were to die today, I would go to heaven, and I have a Bible reason why I know that I'm going to go to heaven. Now, if you can give me a Bible reason why you know you're going to go to heaven and you're confident of it, would you be willing to just slip up your hand? I'll see it. Hold it up just a moment. And if you can't raise your hand, don't be a liar and raise it. It just helps me see the need. 
All right, thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down. Is there anybody here this evening who would say, Brother Mike, I really honestly do not know if I died, I'd go to heaven, but I know I don't want to go to hell, and I want help. Now, if you don't know you're on your way to heaven, of course, we want to help you. If there's one person in here that doesn't know you're going to heaven, if it's one student that's not totally settled it, it's one too many. And we want to help you to not go to hell through faith in Christ. But I want to ask you, is there anybody here who would say, I do not know I'm going to heaven, but I want help. Would you pray for me? If that's you, just lift up your hand as the pianist just softly plays the stands of invitation, very softly plays, just lift up your hand if you say, I do not know I'm going to heaven, but I want to. Pray for me. And I will say this, whatever it is that's keeping you from going to heaven, if there's any doubt, get rid of it. If it's pride, get rid of it. If there's one, don't be too proud to get help. Anybody at all, just lift up that hand. Or talk to somebody very soon that you can trust. Now, I spoke on the subject of hell, and I know we're going into a new life meeting, but spoke on the subject of hell, and we'll, with God's leadership, hit other things this week, but we've got to have a burden for these unsafe people. And so with our heads bowed in a general way, how many of you would say, Brother Mike, I needed this to fire my heart and God is firing my heart with the need to reach the unsaved even more. I needed this. Would you pray for me that I would in a general way have a greater burden for the unsaved? If that spoke to you that way, just lift up the hand more before God than me. And that's very good. Amen. Now, how many of you would say, Brother Mike, God is speaking to me and challenging me more about getting involved. I know you may feel like you're not ready to commit, but maybe tonight helped you to commit. And I wonder how many of you would say, Brother Mike, God is speaking to me about getting involved in the church outreach more. Maybe this neighborhood thing. Would you slip up your hand if God's challenging? You're going to you're going to look at that and getting more involved in that church outreach. God bless you. 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 Good. Good. Now, as the pianist just softly plays another stanza, then we'll have an invitation. How many of you would specifically say, Brother Mike, there's a specific person or some specific people that God's laying on my heart in light of the message that I want to try to win to Christ, specific people that you're challenged through and reminded about that you're wanting to lift up before the Lord. Would you lift up your hand? All right, several across the room. Let's stand to our feet. Stand to our feet. Father, we ask you, Lord, to use the message tonight and through the entire week. Well, Lord, you've spoken to us tonight about this subject. And we pray, Lord, that whatever you would desire to accomplish in our hearts would be accomplished through it. And we pray at this invitation that whatever you want would be done. 